You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I am Chris Mack. He is Eric Tangrady. Joins me a couple times every week. And those are the Pittsburgh Penguins who we talk about on a roll. I mean, relatively speaking for them, three in a row, the first three-game or longer winning streak they've had since since before Christmas, since mid-December as they beat the Predators down in Nashville. The first of a three-game swing through the deep south. Nashville, then Tampa, and we'll talk to Eric Erlinson of LightningInsider.com later, and then on to Florida to face the Panthers. First week of this big three-week stretch we talked about a couple days ago, and the trade deadline, of course, as we speak right now, about 48 hours away. Uh, David Pagnotta of the fourth period will join me later to break down where exactly the Penguins are shopping and what they may have to give up to get what they want. But let's talk about the Predators game specifically, Tango, and how are you, first of all? Uh, it's another beautiful day in Western PA. It's starting to make it feel like playoff time when the weather gets this nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, something to, to in that feeling as a player. It's like the groundhog, right? He comes out as a hockey player, you know, <laughs> you go through those winter funk and then the sunshine and it gets a little bit warmer and you get those uh, those playoff jitters a little bit early. So it's awesome. So let, let's talk about what I thought was a, a, a three or four pronged takeaway for me from the win in Nashville. And I'll start with what has been the constant this year for this team is the top six continues to produce. Um, and, I, and I'll work backwards and you give me your feedback on each one of the three goals scored last night. Let's start with Brian Rust's empty netter. Just a ridiculous individual effort and exactly what this guy does. You know, when they when they made their runs to the cup, he was more of a depth middle six guy. Um, but he's become a guy that they need to count on to come up big. And he's had his ups and downs this year. Uh, some people have banged on him because of the contract extension. But for me, he's still a guy that does exactly what you want from a middle six, which is grinds when he has to, uh, skates and shows off a little bit when he has to. And that that empty net goal was just perfect, a perfect example of what he can do when he – when the individual effort is on display. Yes, absolutely. And what's intangible about Brian Roth is like uh, you use the word, he's a gamer, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes on the score sheet, when he's playing his best hockey and, and, and as like, and like, so in years past, it was who's going to block a shot in the third period. Who's going to make a wall play, take a hit in this situation, like games on the line, individual effort, 
it's not just a score sheet empty netter. It's like that is Brian Rust big time hockey uh, that we all know and 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 why there's so much value in him. Uh, I think the struggles, like we talked about the contract, maybe like his success in years past came from being a straightforward in your face north south type of hockey player um why they're coming into this year you know making top six dollar now does that change the way he he he, his mindset is and the way he needs to play who knows but that to me is hope of that's the type of guy that's your your you know at this point he's not the dark horse anymore but you know the 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 brian rush playoff hockey type guys is what they need churning going down the stretch So if we continue our analysis goal by goal working backwards, which is kind of how I want to look at it, the one that was most impressive to me was probably the Zucker goal, the eventual game-winning goal. And there was was even three prongs to this thing in in that you had great effort from Ricard Raquel as the F1, the first forward into the zone, really pushing hard on the forecheck, not physically necessarily pushing hard on the forecheck, but just chasing the puck down, chasing the play down and forcing the Predators into a mistake. Evgeny Malkin supports him first along the wall, then below the goal line. Jason Zucker reads the whole thing, sees three Preds at or below the goal line and two of his teammates there and kind of sits back in that soft spot at the bottom of the circle there. And the puck comes his way and he does what Jason Zucker has done all year, which is just make an instinctive play. The kind of stuff that was tough for him, I think, when he was less than 100% the first couple of years with this team he's done it all year, man. And he, he just comes up huge again last night. Yeah. It's a big goal. And it kind of gave me the glimpses of uh, the game. Uh, was it a game six or game seven Stanley cup goal? Was it Hornquist? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, you know, like that late in the game. Um, but no, I think that all Same end of the from, rink too. I think. Yeah. yeah. That, that all stems to me from confidence. I mean, if we're looking at this team a week ago, I'm wondering if they're in like a passive one, two, two, and they're just like, let's get this point and let's go to overtime. But now that we're thinking, you know, now they're thinking big picture. They got some confidence under their belt. Like talk about the pursuit, the puck pursuit was a minute and whatever time left in the third period. Like a lot of teams who aren't the real deal, just concede that. And let's make sure we have two guys high and let's go to overtime. Like that was super impressive. Again, we talk about the playoff pedigree, um, being hard for 60 minutes of the game and, and knowing if you can trust in that process that you're going to have a positive outcome. So yeah, to me, that was like everything you want to see from that line, right? You, you got Raquel doesn't need to be super finished checks and blow people up into the, into the, the glass, but use your speed to create disruption. You know, Gino always finding ways to find pucks and in, in scrums. And then Zucker, like you said the confidence you know, when you have that type of confidence, you have poise in the scoring areas. When you're when you're gripping your stick heavy, you know, maybe you're just too quick to get in and support the puck versus trusting that they're going to get you the puck in a, in a soft area. So overall, I mean, that was an awesome hockey goal. But to me, it was more impressive that the team actually believed we're going to play the right way for 60 minutes and not just concede to a, getting a point in overtime. And, and the one that got them started, the one that tied the game up at one apiece late, obviously Sid. It's Sid being Sid. And, and you know, we... You you mentioned it, uh, I want to say a week or two ago, as long as Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are on this team and they're simply doing what they do, it's impossible to count this team out. And and that's the, the that's what loops back on this whole thing about the top six just continuing to produce. As long as they're doing that, yeah, we can talk about the struggles in other parts of the roster and they're very valid, but Sidney Crosby's still out there doing Sidney Crosby type things. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they every year it's almost like it, you not that you want to doubt him or the writers or the people want to doubt him, but like it, it, his age. I mean, is this guy ever going to age? Is he ever going to slow right. down? Like you hear so many times and, and knock on wood, but like some guys have these late lingering injuries that just can't have them play at a high level. Like 50% of Sidney Crosby is still the best player on the Penguins, but we're getting like big time, big game Sid right now and, and even Gino coming off of a knee injury and, and Tanger like it's just super impressive to see and uh, as critical as you know you want to be on management a lot of times these conversations are like being critical on your big three but all they've done has been consistent and produce and that's been amazing well I mean you you see it even in the example of a guy we saw play a couple nights ago and a guy we'll see again on Thursday and that's you know Corey Perry he's a couple of years older than Sid but Corey Perry at one point was, you know, Hart Trophy candidate, you know, Con Smythe Trophy kind of guy. And now he's a fourth liner in Tampa. Sid is only a couple of years younger, and he just keeps rolling. And the most impressive part of that first goal, the, the, the Crosby goal, and it feeds into the next, the next prong of what I was impressed with against the Predators, was what Brock McGinn did. Um, Brock McGinn finds out during the, in the midst of the dad's trip, right? They're in Nashville. It's supposed to be a fun trip down south. And Brock McGinn finds out he's been placed on waivers. Still in the lineup, though, because we only got so many bodies, Brock. So you're going to play. And he plays his ass off. He's blocking shots. He's dragging himself to the bench afterwards. And then he sets up the Crosby goal there. And, you know, it's indicative for me of, we can talk about the bottom six as a whole, but it's indicative for me that something may be clicking. Something may be fun. You know, when you're trying to turn the, the, the ignition over on a, on a cold morning on your car and something's happening with Carter McGinn and Heinen now, at least you hope anyway, because that's the kind of thing. I, I don't know if, if a lot of guys react that way, getting thrown on waivers and then a couple hours later playing the kind of game that Brock McGinn played. Yeah, it was super impressive. And I, I think it speaks highly of his character for somebody who's probably been scrutinized of um, look at the cards he was dealt and look at the way he was resilient and persevered through. And I think that, he definitely gained a lot of the respect back um, uh, of the city, which he probably doesn't quite care about. But I think more importantly, his teammates. Uh, to me, it, it's it was so great to see that. And it's been great to see that the way that the bottom six has been acting or reacting to, 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 to things. Right. But I think, I think that's what makes the Kapanen move so good for this team. We talk all the time about, you know, they just need some sort of inner competition or something that put them, make them aware that like, this the, the status quo is not going to be good enough moving forward. And I think, you know, just him moving on may have given that bottom six this feeling of, okay, maybe our job security is on the line. And now we're starting to see some of their best hockey. So we had talked about before, like, sure, we don't need to see these catastrophic monumental blockbuster trades, but just some sort of movement to get a spark in that bottom six of saying like, Maybe we don't have the competition from within, but if you guys aren't going to perform, like, here you go. We just moved somebody out of town, regardless of where they were right. making and what they've done. So um, I think that that's really, really good for the team that kind of have that little spark. And obviously they're responding to it as well. And just before we started recording this for full disclosure to those listening, it's about a eh, quarter after two Eastern on Wednesday afternoon, just before we started uh, recording this, it was uh, announced that McGinn, and Friedman, Mark Friedman, had cleared waivers. So we'll see what the future is for them. They can be sent now to Wilkes if, if that's what the Penguins organization should decide to do. 
Uh, we'll see if that is the move that they make. It would save them just a little bit of cap space. Not as much had either of them, especially McGinn, been claimed uh, as Kapanen was. But again, it, it is indicative to me that something's clicking on those bottom two lines, Eric, in that the fourth line was strong again last night. You know, O'Connor, Bluger, and Archibald were tops on the team in some possession metrics, shot share, Fenwick, Corsi. And the same could be said for the third line. They were best in actually expected goal differential, which is something we haven't seen from the third line all year, which is, again, indicative to me that maybe something's happening there. It doesn't tell me if I'm Ron Hextall that, uh, well, I shouldn't make a move now. What it actually tells me is if Ron Hextall's learning from mistakes is that maybe I should have made some of these moves a few weeks earlier so that I would have seen this reaction sooner to give me a better bead on what I actually have rather than getting this read on this team 48 hours ahead of the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, if this team, it, it's crazy how close they are, but yet how far away they are. Like when we talk about the top six, I feel confident the top six can compete with anybody in the Eastern Conference. Then it comes down to the bottom six. You play the Penguins against the Rangers and you put Sid's line on the ice against that new powerhouse first line that the Rangers have. And mm -hmm. if you tell me they play even hockey, Sid's line scores zero goals and Zabinijad scores zero goals. That's a win for us in Pittsburgh, right? Then you go down the line. Malkin line plays against the Trocek, uh, Kreider line, zero goals. Then that's where things get shaky as far as what yeah. type of team are they for real? Um, because that's where this team needs to separate itself is in the bottom six. But it has been really good to see them step up and start to play some good hockey. And maybe that the game against Tampa gave, gave them some confidence, some belief back in the way that they need to play. And hopefully that sample size can carry over a little bit further. But yeah, I, I agree. Is it too late now that we're seeing this chasing, chasing and chasing standings? Well, I don't know. I think there's still some time. And I think those waiver wire moves are a plan to give them flexibility for something bigger if it's out there. The one thing that I don't want to say it, it flew under the radar because I've seen some people recognize it since the win over the Preds is that perhaps Tristan Jari starting to shake the rust off finally. Um, UC Soros had a really strong game as well until he didn't. Jari didn't have any of those mental lapses or mistakes that I thought he had in the first couple games back. He looked really solid. He looked like playoff Jari uh, when we've had the opportunity. Good playoff Jari. Uh, when we've had the opportunity to see that uh, against the Preds in that, you know, th the Predators had a makeshift lineup put together anyway. So I, I, you got the feeling they were just trying to survive it and get through it. But when they did start to put, you know, when Jankowski scores that goal late, it, it could be very easy for them to start to fold up the tents and say, oh my God. And Jari maybe makes, you know, looks at it and says, what did I do wrong there? But instead he stands tall, Jari outplaying Juicy Saros just a little bit tells me, okay, maybe we're moving in the right direction with him as well. Yeah, and for, for me, it's just about his poise. Like, it, mm -hmm. you can tell at times with Jari when he, and when he has the spurts, like he gets very quick and, and it almost looks like an anxious type of goaltending where to me, he just looked very relaxed. Nashville is an incredibly difficult environment to go into and play. Um, There's so many distractions. It's kind of like a miniature Vegas where the hockey game is actually secondary to what's happening in the stands and the crowd, the energy, the emotion. So regardless, I mean, it's still the National Hockey League, regardless of the roster that um natural had i think the st louis game was a great way to prepare them for this one in the sense of you just dominate you dominate you dominate you're not getting results stick to it stick to it uh and i think that's where mike sullivan as a coach and as a, as a leader has really showed in the last 
few games of this winning streak of like, let's just trust the process and keep pushing through good things will happen. And when you're actually right, when you say those things, you don't, you wouldn't believe how much confidence it brings to a locker room. Cause as a coach, you know, I'm sitting on that, this side of it a little bit, like, right. please guys, keep trusting me, keep trusting me. It's going to happen. Good things, good things. And if it doesn't, it almost sucks the wind out twice as much, but then when it does, it can rally this group together to really start to believe again. Okay. So I'll, I'll just before I let you run, just, just two minutes with tango here, there's gotta be, and you don't have to name names. You know, that's my <laughs> role. You never have to name names if you don't want to, but there's gotta be a good Nashville story in there somewhere. Like somebody sleeping in and missing the bus for morning skate or like, I, there's gotta be some, someone somewhere had to do something crazy on Broadway at some point. Yeah, I, I've had a teammate. We had a we had a two o'clock game, and usually on a two o'clock game, you find out the night before who's playing and who's not playing. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I wasn't playing, and a, and a teammate of mine was not playing as well. So we felt like on a Saturday night, it would be good to just go just go listen to the music on a Saturday night. Yeah. Um. So we actually didn't get you know it wasn't too bad. We we got into bed at a pretty decent hour. Um. And the next morning, a bunch of group chats are going around like, "Hey, is." You know, is he awake? Because he actually is playing. Someone was sick last night. Oh, no. So he was then inserted into the lineup in a two o'clock game. Didn't wake up till, you know, I banged on his door and told him, like, you got to get it together. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So Nashville's a really cool place. I mean, if you're a country fan, if, even if you're not, it's just a unique yeah. place. But I remember having to wake a teammate up who thought he wasn't playing the next day for a two o'clock game. Um, <laughs> After having a a couple pops and then listening to yeah. live music, <laughs> how do you how do you play once he got out there? Unbelievable! It almost to of the course. point where um, <laughs> no expectations. It's almost like when you go into a round of golf and you tell yourself you stink and you play the best round of your life. It's you have zero expectations. You're going to keep it as simple as you've ever kept it. All that game, it was it was impressive. It was a very very impressive effort. Uh, to the point where I think he learned a little bit about his own sports psychology moving forward. <laughs> Maybe that's the key for the Pens if they get into the playoffs. Have a night out. Have a night out yeah. with the boys before before a, a game one or a big elimination game and just say, you know what? We're just going to roll the puck out and see what happens. Good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I appreciate it, Eric. As always, uh, get out and enjoy the nice weather, and uh, we'll catch up again next time, okay? Yeah, looking forward to it. Talk soon. Lots of different things going into the way the Pens have won these last three games. The question is, can they keep them all rolling? Because all of them obviously are good signs. The top six continuing to stay healthy and produce, knock on wood. Uh, The bottom six turning things around in the right direction. And Tristan Jari starting to shake some of the rust off as well. We are less than 48 hours until the trade deadline as you're listening to this, right around 48 hours to the deadline as it's being recorded. So who better to talk to than one of the NHL's leading insiders from thefourthperiod.com, David Pagnotta, next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. As we're recording this, it's about 48 hours exactly to the NHL trade deadline. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Lucky enough to be joined by the man from the fourth period, David Pagnotta. David, thanks for taking the time. I know you are absolutely jammed up. I hear the, the cell phone in the background oh, every yeah. two minutes. So, again, I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. Uh, let's start here. Uh, I'm just going to kind of throw out a couple names, the names that people are talking about the most here in Pittsburgh right now. Yep. And you tell me, and who knows, something may have happened with these names by the time people hear us talking about it, but let's go with it. Uh, let's start with Jacob Chikrin in Arizona. I know you yep. said there's still definitely a very vibrant market for him, but I don't know if the Pens are still in on it or not. I think they are. Um, to, to how engaged, how how close they are to a potential finish line, on anybody on Chikrin, I don't know yet. I can tell you that as of yesterday, uh, the last update I had on Chikrin with Los Angeles, by the way, was around 2 o'clock Eastern, where L.A. still had an offer on the table. And they wanted to know if this was going to happen or not. They weren't getting an answer. So they shifted and moved okay. on and, and went in a different direction. I don't know if they're 100% out. I suspect they are. But – um, I haven't gotten that definitively yet, but Pittsburgh still in the mix. Carolina very much in the mix. Washington was in the mix as well before they made their trade and got uh, Rasmus Sandin. Are they willing to move their first round pick that they still own? I think they are. It probably is top 10 or top 12 protected uh, from the sounds of things, but they're still there. Um, Pittsburgh as well, certainly. Uh, and then you've got some of the teams that have been jumping in and out of the race. Is it a Buffalo? Is it St. Louis? Is it the Islanders? There are other teams, Calgary, that have been in and out uh, of this race, but they want some finality here, the Coyotes do, and so does Jacob Chicker. He wants this freaking thing to end. So um, we're waiting to see kind of how this unfolds, but as far as, you know, like you said, we're recording this around 3 o'clock Eastern right now. As far as I know, the Penguins are still engaged in those discussions. And it sounds like, according to, to your sources, that that's probably what led the Kings to pull the trigger on Gavrikov and, and the Columbus deal. Yeah. Um, yep. if, uh, if they're, if they were simply sold on, we've got to get left-handed defense in here now. So the other one that definitely has all kinds of smoke oh. around it, and it makes a ton of sense. Go ahead. I'm going to pause quickly. Dylan Larkin, $8.7 million over eight years, um, with the Detroit Red Wings. So, uh, as this is happening, uh -huh. um, I'm just confirming that it's hundred percent done before I put it on the old Twitter box, but no, that's okay. Um, I'm going to just get that going now. So. See, stuff like this happens. Uh, uh, and that's a huge, I mean, that, that is, you know, with Detroit and Buffalo mm, at, at the points where they are in their organizational development, this is what has people in Pittsburgh concerned about the long-term trade-off versus the short-term. All of us want this team and want Ron Hextall to be in on now. It's why you brought the band back, as everybody has said all year. 
Um, but it's also facing the harsh reality, as the Caps have already decided to face this year, that um, the long term is still has still has to be a part of your plan somehow, however minutely in the back of your head, because yeah. you're being chased by the Detroits and the Buffaloes of the world. Detroit uh, very much so deciding, yes, we're going to continue to build around Dylan Larkin. They are, um, but they're also, because of their situation, losing two in a row to the Ottawa Senators on Monday and Tuesday, they're looking around and taking uh, some calls on a number of their players. Tyler Bertuzzi is out there. Um, Oscar Sundquist is out there. Pius Sutter is out there. They've got some other players that they're listening on uh, with respect to possibly, you know, getting some, some assets while still looking to improve in the long haul. This is a team that wants to continue to compete for a playoff spot, not just this season, but immediately next year. So you're going to look for them to make some moves here. I, I hearing, I, I've been hearing that they're listening on a number of guys beyond the ones I mentioned. I don't know how realistic they get to that point, but it certainly sounds like um, they're, they're a little bit open to some suggestions here. And, and again, Detroit wants to compete next year, um, but it might be a little situation of too little too late right now this season, which is why they're listening on Sunquist and Bertuzzi and others. Well, yeah, I was I was just going to bring up Bertuzzi. Obviously, the contract up at the end of the year, UFA, uh, recommitting to Dylan Larkin. Perhaps there's not the sense that there's enough cap space uh, to keep them both around long term. I would imagine, to your point, that'll get Bertuzzi's name back out on the market. That wasn't a name I was yeah. going to mention. That's not the spot <laughs> with all the smoke, so there must be fire. That's out in the Pacific Northwest where, because yeah. of the overlap between the two organizations, so many people here in Pittsburgh are now looking to Vancouver and saying, okay, not only is there overlap between the organizations, but you've also got weapons that either make sense or can make sense. Um, Ron Hextall saying, I'm not trading draft picks, high-end draft picks, unless I'm getting guys with term. And that's what yeah. leads you down the path of Brock Besser. Um, he's the first one that pops to mind. And of course, JT Miller comes up as well, but that cap hit is just enormous. And JT really, Hasn't played as well this year until the last couple of weeks. What are you hearing about what's going on in Vancouver? And he wants to stay at the center position um, as well. That's another big component in this. And if it's a center position in Pittsburgh, it's a 3C slot. I don't mm -hmm. know if that makes a lot of sense if I'm the Penguins, to be perfectly honest. Unless he's totally comfortable playing on the left side um, of either Gino or Sid, which nice spot to be in. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I know they've had discussions. Um, I, I just don't know how serious those have really gotten, to be perfectly honest. I know, uh, and I've confirmed this directly, um, that Brock Besser has been part of discussions as well. They, and this has been going on for several weeks. Whether they get to the finish line or not, we, we got 48 hours to see. But definitely, without question, uh, they've had discussions about Brock Besser. Um, there would have to be money retained. Even if a contract mm -hmm. is going back, there's likely to be money retained uh, from Vancouver's side of things, and, and whether it's Pittsburgh or another team, because they're, they're talking to a few others. But things have really, really heated up. And Vancouver is doing a lot of things right now to pour water uh, on, on these types of flames. Um, but they're very much engaged in serious discussions with Pittsburgh and a couple other teams on Brock Besser. So this is something I'm trying to monitor. This is I got a message right before I came on to keep my head uh, on a swivel here. So you okay. can see something happen now or – or a little bit later with respect to the Canucks in terms of another move coming? Does it include the Penguins? It's, it's possible. I can tell you for, with, with full certainty they've had those discussions. Who else are you hearing, aside from those names that we've all had bouncing around here in Pittsburgh over the last couple of days, that the Penguins and Ron Hextall may be in on? 
Well, you know, it sounds like based on the fact that you're you've got names like Besser, Miller, Chikrin, it, it looks like without question it's it's guys with term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hextall, like a few other teams, like Edmonton, for example, they've made their big move with Ekholm, but they're still kind of combing through things, lurking through the weeds, so to speak, uh, to see if prices drop on guys. And, and I think that's where Pittsburgh is to a certain degree. If they can bring in, you know, some some extra firepower and it costs less now than it did, bef- you know, before a couple of weeks ago, even a couple of days ago, then I think that's where they'd like to go um, in terms of depth and complementary pieces. But in terms of key acquisitions, ma- major acquisitions that include giving up a first round pick and some quality assets, it sounds like you're looking at guys with term. And, uh, you know, there are pieces that are out there that are available if you want to pay a premium for them. Like Josh Anderson in Montreal, for example, like that's a kind of player that has term power forward type that the Canadians are willing to listen on, but it's a hefty price. I have, have the Penguins engaged in serious discussions there. I'm not totally sure to be honest, but that's the kind of player that I can see them looking at uh, a guy with term like Besser and so on a guy with term that can slot into a top six. The other thing I'm very curious about is the goaltending. Um, right. I, I I know they'd like to shore it up, but I don't know if it's a Cam Talbot type or if they're looking to go big fish hunting. Is it Demko in Vancouver? Is that where mm. all these talks are going and we're being misdirected? Is it John Gibson in Anaheim, the local boy? Are we going to look at that? Um, he's available. Uh, that's a serious type of trade. And that's something even with Demko that is likely to happen in the summer. Um, but I'm curious to see what they do with, with their goaltending position. Now with Corpusalo in L.A., I mean, there's Quick right. um, as well. But it's I, I'm hearing some stuff on Vegas there and, and Toronto more so than Pittsburgh. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm very curious as to see what they do in goal as much as what they're trying to do with the rest of the roster. Yeah, as much as they need it now, like you said, because of the cap hits involved, I wonder if the goaltending issue is something Ron Hextall will save for the summer, especially if you're talking about names like Demko, who's dealt with injury, and uh, Johnny Whitehall, John Gibson, who has a big cap hit for them to try and shuffle into the middle of the deck. All that being said, David, who are some of the names? Obviously, we know Hextall is going to have to deal high-end draft picks if he wants to get something big done. Who are the names that other teams are targeting? We've heard Pedersen. We've heard P.O. Joseph. Who else is a target out there? Uh, it, it, honestly, it depends on what kind of transpires here. So from mm-hmm. a Penguins perspective, if you're bringing in, let's say, let's say it is a top six winger, um, whoever it may be. Let's say it's a top six winger. Does that then lead a guy like Jason Zucker to become available? And if you're a team that's a contending team out West, for example, because you're probably not going to want to do too much in, in your own division, um, is, is that an option? Uh, so we'll see what happens here uh, with, with respect to, you know, other potential guys moving out. But if they bring in somebody that has term within their top six, then you look to a guy like Zucker with, with minimal term on that deal. I think this is his final year. Final year. Correct me if I'm wrong. So, yeah. So, so maybe is it a Vegas, is it a Seattle type? And then you get him out West for teams that have cap space that are willing to do some things. You know, you freed up a little bit with McGinn and, and Friedman clearing waivers. Can you create a little bit of additional space by moving a guy like Zucker out if it means replacing him with a guy with term? I think in terms of teams looking at Pittsburgh's assets, I think it's more aligned with them bringing somebody in and resulting in somebody leaving. I, I think it's, it's going to be a give-and-go type thing if, if we're talking about impact additions. 
One final thing before I let you run. Um, what is the future for Ron Hextall here in Pittsburgh? Uh, as you're hearing things around the league, is he is he secure here? Does he have to reach a certain mile marker by the end of the season? And who ultimately, we don't even know here in Pittsburgh, to be quite honest, because the Fenway Sports Group has remained somewhat shadowy um, yep. as far as their influence on things. Who's ultimately going to call Ron Hextall on the carpet if it doesn't go as expected down the stretch? Well, it, I mean, it, it kind of starts with Berkey mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the pecking order. I mean, I think they would go to him and say, hey, we, we, we lost in the first round. We got out of – we missed the playoffs. We lost in the second round. Whatever ends up happening here, if it doesn't get to a point in which ownership is content, um, not only with the success either way this season, but with the game plan for next season, I think it goes to Berkey. And you go to Brian and you say, okay, here's, here's where we're at. Explain the situation. We'll tell you whether we accept it or not, and then go from there. Um, I haven't gotten much of a sense that either him or or Hextall are in, um, you know, dire straits. But again, I think it's going to come down to how this team finishes this season. Um, you know, is it outside of the playoffs? That's not good. If right. it's inside the playoffs, is it a seven? Is it a seven game series and a heartbreaker in the first round? You can you can make arguments that hey, this could have gone either way. We can keep keep building off this. The one thing that I have seen in this last week is the fact that he's owning up to some of the mistakes that have been made. You know, he he talked about Kapanen. It didn't work out. We thought he would be able to get it going. Didn't work out. We moved on. Got lucky, but we moved on. Um, And the same with the same with McGinn. It's not working out. He's got two more years on that deal. We'll free up some cap space now and then figure it out in the off season, how how we want to approach it. The fact that he's owning up, that takes a lot, especially in the NHL. Uh, GMs don't like doing that very much. And the fact that he's doing it, I think, is is, is an important sign. But really, it's going to come down to how this team finishes this season. David, thanks so much for the time. Like I said, I know you're absolutely slammed in the last 48 hours of the trade deadline process. So we appreciate you taking the time. Follow him on Twitter at the fourth period, of course, the fourth period.com. David Pagnotta. Thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. You got it. Take care. Thank you. How about it? A little bit, of, a little slice of breaking news. It's not breaking anymore because you're listening to the podcast later after we recorded it, but Dylan Larkin re-upping for a long, long term and plenty of money in Detroit. And it sounds like the Pens are still in on all those big names that we've been hearing about over the last couple of days. We'll see how it shakes down. Thanks again to David Pagnotta of the fourth period for joining. Uh, we take a look at Thursday's opponent, a team that for some reason the Penguins have been able to handle this season. Hmm. Why do they seem to have the Bolts number? We talked to Eric Erlinson of lightninginsider.com as the Pens get ready for Tampa as a part of this Southern Road Swing. That next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in Fifth Avenue Faceoff Pens. Uh, I mean, first three-game winning streak since way back before Christmas, and a part of it was a huge win over the Tampa Bay Lightning at home the other night. But now it's on to Tampa. The Southern Road Trip got started on a good note in Nashville, but it's on to see face uh, the Lightning and the Panthers in the state of Florida. And here to give us a little, maybe answer some questions about what's going on with the Lightning. Eric Erlinson of lightninginsider.com. Eric, first of all, thanks for taking the time and doing this. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying the uh, lovely weather. I, I love to make people up north a little jealous this time of year when I tell them it's about 84 degrees outside. You know what? It's <laughs> almost 70 here in western Pennsylvania wow. today. So it's like summer. Yes, we're getting a little slice of spring a little early. So um, let's let, let's talk about why the Pens seem to have the Bolts number this year. There was a game very early, beginning of the season, when the Pens had pretty good jump, looked like the Penguins we expected the Penguins to be this year, uh, not the team that we got for the last, I want to say, six to eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, the Lightning come to town uh, this past weekend, and the Penguins start to look like the Penguins again. Uh, the bottom six looks like they're actually capable of doing something. The Stars do what they've done all year in Crosby and Malkin, and they score. But but what is it about uh, – I, I mean, this is – I hesitate to call it a rivalry because they don't play enough to make it a rivalry, but going all the way back to the Eastern Conference final series several years ago, the the Lightning seemed to draw the best out of the Pens more often than not. Probably because of the star power on the other side, right? Like stars mm -hmm. like to rise against stars and sure. Stamkos and Kucherov and Point and Hedman and specifically Vasilevsky. I know Brian Elliott started a game on Sunday, but yeah, there's stars on the other side and that usually tends to get top players to kind of raise their level because you know they know if they don't play to their level, then the other team's top, top players are going to could have the potential to do something. And, you know, I, and look, in both of those meetings earlier this year, the, the Penguins did catch the Lightning on the second half of back-to-backs. It's not an right. excuse, but it is reality, right? Uh, and the Lightning to start the year, that was, I think it was game three of the year for Tampa Bay, started a three-game road trip. They were they were atrocious in the first two, couple of weeks of the season. They looked like a team that had been to three straight Stanley Cup finals and were tired. And uh, so they, they the Pens caught them at good times. Um, you know, the game on Sunday, the lighting actually had the lead after the first period and then just completely fell asleep. All right. They forgot Evgeny Malkin was the guy coming out of the penalty <laughs> box there at the end of that penalty. And of course, he's going to score on a breakaway. It seems like Malkin does that to Tampa Bay every year, no matter who's on the ice against them. Uh, and then, I mean, she's about five goals in the span of four minutes and 55 seconds. I mean, yeah. talk, talk about completely falling apart. I'll be interested really to see how Tampa Bay responds because they didn't play very well against Florida. You know, they're, they're in the middle of this stretch of games against Buffalo twice and Pittsburgh twice, and they've got Florida. They get Carolina uh, next weekend as well coming up. So they've got some opponents who are desperate for points here, mm -hmm. and the Lightning have not played like they're desperate for anything, right? And they sagged last night against, against Florida. The Panthers scored a goal four minutes in or six minutes in, and the Lightning didn't have a shot on goal the rest of the period. I've never seen this team during this stretch of success that they've had sag the way they did in that, that game against Florida, and they didn't wake up till the third period. And by then, you know, you're down 3-1, and it's, you, you just can't come back to even putting 19 shots on goal against Sergei Bobrovsky. Well, I think there's a valuable question there, Eric, about what are the Lightning playing for at this point? I mean, you could argue they're playing for home ice advantage in a series against the Leafs, right? But that's about all that's on the table. Those two seem destined to meet each other in the first round because of the current playoff format. And without opening that can of worms about the current playoff format against perhaps the the one through eight <laughs> format that so many of us, I think, probably prefer, um, what, what what feels like the motivation for the lightning right now in, in that, you know, it, four points back at Toronto. And again, yes, you can catch them for home ice in that series, but increasingly what does home ice even mean in the NHL playoffs? Even if you, you have a great barn, like the lightning have, is that going to give you the, the kind of advantage that makes it necessary to really sell out and do all you have to do, give 110% every single shift down the stretch. 
nobody gets the Philly flu anymore, right? No. There's no, there's no true home ice advantage. I mean, even, even the lighting in 2015, uh, when they went up against the Rangers in the Eastern conference final game seven at Madison square garden, all the mystique Henrik Lundqvist has never lost a game seven at home. The Rangers haven't lost a game seven on home ice in what 40 years or whatever. And it didn't matter now. Granted, you got Ben Bishop in goal at that time. You've got Andre Vasilevsky in goal right now. Like, goalies are always the optimal uh, equalizer in any of those situations, right? But I, I'm with you. I don't think home ice really factors into it. I think coaches will tell you they would prefer to have a game seven at home. But mm-hmm. I think if you look historically at the numbers, it's about 50-50, right? And, and even thinking back to that 15 season for Tampa Bay, they set an uh, they set a franchise record with 32 home wins during the regular season. They were under 500 in the postseason, right? Like, go figure that out. Like, it's yeah. just there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. So, and, and being on home ice, yeah, you get to control the matchups, but that's it. That's the only advantage you have with home ice. Now you don't even have the the face off advantage, right? They changed that to where whoever's mm-hmm. back is closest to the goal has to put their stick down first. So, uh, yeah. So there's honestly to, to kind of make a long winded answer to actually answer your question. Uh, there's nothing for them to play for. They're playing for themselves. You know, they're playing to fit Tanner, you know, into the lineup right now. And we'll see what happens with this team before Friday's trade deadline, if they do anything else, but that's, that's it. So there is no incentive. There's no reason, you know, if, if you're, if you're trying, if you're on the ice and you're trying to decide, should I step in front of that hundred mile an hour mile uh, slap shot for a game that doesn't matter? Or should I save that for the playoffs? What's your choice going to be? I'm probably right. going to sidestep that and, and maybe save that for the playoffs because you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So it is difficult for the lightning where they're at to match these teams that are trying to get into the playoffs and keep a position in the playoffs compared to what they're going through. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tanner Janot, and I, I we I did not share my notes with Eric before we got started here, uh, but that was going to be what I was going to ask you about next. Is you know I I I'll be honest, I kind of admire uh, the the forthwith nature of Patrice Brisebois the other day, and basically saying like the the L.A. Rams have said in the NFL, "F them picks." Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll give all the picks I have to give in order to get the guy that I want. And we wanted a guy like, you know, some people would call him a middle six. Some people have called him bottom six. He certainly hasn't produced offensively this year, the way he did last year. So that's a valuable question about whether last year was a fluke or not. And he can continue to provide that. But is there a feeling amongst lightning fans that, Hey, you know what? Uh, Breezeball just did what he had to do to get the, the right guy. Or is it my gosh, what we gave up? four or five picks and, and and a player for this guy. Are we trying to do too much? It's, it's, it's a debate. There's no doubt because it's a lot of assets to give up for one player. And that one player is not Patrick Kane. Right. Right. So that's what, that's what you're kind of placing the value on. But I, I think we have to kind of take a step back and look at it. Value is whatever the buyer wants to place on it or what the seller wants to place on it. Right. I, and I've used this analogy you walk down the street and your neighbors, you like your neighbor's car, man, I'd like that car. How much you want for it? That's not for sale. But what if I give you this? Nah, I'm still not, I don't want to sell the car. Okay. How about if I go here? Eh, nah, I, I still don't want to sell it. So it's, it gets into a negotiation factor and you know, it's all about value placed on it. So on the surface, it's an overpay. There's no way getting around that. You give up six assets for one player who's uh you know, middle six guy, you know, who's going to play in a third line role here in Tampa. He's not going to get any power play time. He'll get some penalty kill, kill time eventually, you know, but he, he plays a physical game. He's fourth in the league in hits. He's third in hits amongst forwards. 
Uh, he's among the league leaders in fights the last couple of years. So he's willing to do that for his team. And the other thing that I think has to be factored in here is that this is not a rental player. And I would be shocked if before, you know, we get to July 1st and, and Tanner Janot becomes a restricted free agent, if there's not a long-term extension in his future, and we're talking five, six years, you know, probably in a comfortable team range of two to $3 million somewhere in there where they feel he's going to be a long-term solution because, you know, Pat Maroon has that role right now. I don't know how much Pat Maroon has left in him. He's got one more year left on his deal. So Tanner Janot is a replacement for that kind of role as well. So it's not just a this year situation. And you do have to admire the way that, that Julian Brisebois factored it all out. Right. Right. He said, and I love this quote and it, and then gives you the true insight into his mentality. We know the actual value of those picks and, and the odds of them becoming NHL players, four or five years down the road, but we also know the value of those players helping this group of players right now win a championship. And that's 0%. Right. So he he's going for it and he's proven the last couple of years that he is bold in his conviction and he's, they identify something, they identify the player that's going to fill that role and they go out and they do it. Everybody said it was an overpay for Barclay Goodrow. Yeah, it worked out pretty good. It worked right? out, yeah. It was an overpay for Brandon Hagel. So far, it's worked out pretty good for Brandon Hagel. So, yeah, you are definitely sacrificing future, but you're trying to win now. And you bring up sacrificing future. The Lightning now, without a first-round pick in the next three drafts, um, down to just a sixth-rounder and two-sevenths in this draft. Uh, their first pick is in the third next year, I believe. Um, and you, you, you cited some of those names that, that people have talked about Stamkos and Kalorn are both 33, uh, Belmar and Perry are both 37, right? Uh, Maroon, who you mentioned is 34, uh, on the blue line, you've got 34 year old, uh, Ian Cole, 32 year old Zach Bogosian, Hedman's 32 as well. So when do you think, and this is a question we, we're asking ourselves in Pittsburgh right now as well, when does the rebuild begin and how much longer can you continue to sell the future for the now? Well, I think there are a lot of similarities between the Penguin situation, the Lightning with their core players. I think the one difference in, in Tampa Bay's factor here is part of their core also includes a Braden Point, who's what, 26 years old. Mm -hmm. Nikita Kucherov is 28, 29. Andre Vasilevsky is 29 years old. Mikhail Sergachev is 25 years old. So they've kind of got this secondary tier of core players who aren't in their thirties, right? So right. they're not, they're not on, they're still on the, on the incline of their peak where, you know, some of these guys are on a decline uh, a little bit. So it, it I, I think as long as you have a Kucherov, a point specifically Vasilevsky, he's the X factor and everything that they've been able to do the last couple of years with the way he plays in goal. As long as you still have that group playing at their peak, I think you're going for it every year. As long as you're in a playoff position, you know, at some point, do you wonder, all the amount of hockey that they've played in three years and three straight cup finals, does it kind of, you know, wear on them a little bit? There's no doubt yeah. at some point you get that. And there are, there is a point of diminishing returns. Um, I, I think they, they look, they started to feel that a little bit in the first round against Toronto last year. And I think they had a, a team meeting after game three, I think it was say, no, this is not acceptable. This is not who we are. Are you going to let this window close because you're tired? No, let's go out and do it. And and they kind of, they fought their way back and they found a way to win that series and, and get back to the cup final. And, you know, if not for a too many men 
missed call in overtime or a, right. a, an unhealthy Braden point. I mean, who, who knows how things could have gone in that series, but they pushed themselves. They, they willed themselves back to the Stanley cup final last year. It's almost as if, you know, if I, any of these aging teams, you know, you think the caps, you think the, the bolts, you think the pens, if any of them were able to squeeze one last cup out of this core that they have in place, they would feel like the 83 Islanders when they when they vanquished the Oilers. You hear that story all the time that Messier and Gretzky tell about losing to them in the Stanley Cup final and they're walking past their locker room and they expect them to be jumping up and down and spraying champagne and beer everywhere. And instead, they all just sat there slumped at their stalls like with ice packs. Yeah, a, a, a <laughs> yeah. sigh of relief like. We got there. We got to the finish line and we managed to pull it off again. And that's what it feels like. Like all of these teams are just looking to squeeze one more out of it. And if they can, it'll be more a sense of relief than a sense of joy. And legacy. Like it adds to a legacy. I mean, look, the Penguins and the Lightning are the only teams in the past 30 years to win back-to-back titles. That's a legacy right there. If you can add another one. Boy, it just it just adds to more of it, right? And, and I know the right. Pens had the one back in 09, you know, so they do have a little bit of that legacy with them and on top of everything else they did in, in the Mario and Yager years. Um, but yeah, there's legacy involved here too. And players, players like legacy, right? They like yeah. the legacy. If you can be called a three-time Stanley Cup champion, a four-time Stanley Cup champion in today's age of parody, yeah, there's no doubt. So yeah, I and again, going back to what Julian said after making the Janot trade that Basically, as the guardian of this group of players, he feels he owes it to them to give them every single opportunity to continue to win championships. Because here's the other thing. This franchise, think about how the stars have aligned to have a Stamkos, a Kucherov, a Point, a Hedman, a Vasilevsky, a Sorelli, a Sergachev. This group of players together at the same time. It's probably never going to happen in the history of the franchise to have this type of talented group of players together at the same time trying to win cups. And, and, I, and I think you factor all that in, and that's when you get an overpay for a Tanner Genoa or an overpay for Brandon Hagel because you're trying to build around the core with players you feel can fit in. I mean, Brandon Hagel has been a great fit with uh, Nikita Kucherov and, and Braden Point on that top line. And he's played a, a ton of time on the top power play unit this year. There's no doubt that you're trying to keep that core together and build around it and give them players that can help them win another one or multiple ones. Eric, great stuff. Loved catching up with you. For people that are looking to get the latest on what's going on with the Lightning ahead of this matchup between the Pens and the Bolts, lightninginsider.com, at Lightning Insider on Twitter as well to follow Eric. He's got everything up to the minute ready to go for what should be a fascinating final matchup between the Pens and the Lightning this season. Thanks again for making the time today, man. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And just to correct the Twitter handle, it's actually my name with an underscore between it. Oh, my apologies. That's okay. No, Jeez, it's, 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 sure not, it's, it's not on the graphic here. It's not on the graphic. So <laughs> at um, Eric with a K underscore Erlinson, two yes. S's on Twitter, and you will get everything up to date and up to the minute, up to the minute, pardon me, on Twitter with what's going on with the lightning. Thanks again, Eric. Appreciate right. it. My pleasure. Yeah, the similarities and the parallels between these two organizations, um, you know, there's a lot of them there as both of them continue to get older. Uh, you just wonder if the Pens are handling the transition to a younger core as well as the Lightning are seem seem to be handling the transition to a bit of a younger core. That transition continues through the trade deadline, Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. The way we will handle it here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff and 93.7 The Fan is we're going to be with you 
through the whole thing. So about 2.45 Eastern on Friday, I personally will jump on the Odyssey app. Yes, we will do uh, a go live on the Odyssey app Friday afternoon, sort of reacting to the final few minutes of the trade deadline as it counts down to 3 p.m. Eastern. And then after the deadline, I will get some of my friends from 93.7 The Fan, Adam Crowley. Uh, we'll grab Jeff Hathorn. Uh, after Ron Hextall speaks, we'll get together and do a YouTube live version of our first YouTube live version of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. How about that? And also record it for a podcast to get up uh, after that as well. Probably, I'm guessing, if Ron Hextall speaks between 3 and 4 Eastern on Friday, we'll get that up. We'll record it sometime between 4 and 5 and get it up for you, hopefully, uh, by dinner time, depending on when dinner is for you, on late Friday afternoon, early Friday evening with the trade deadline being at 3 o'clock. You want all the instant reaction to what Ron Hextall may or may not do at this year's NHL trade deadline and how it affects the Pittsburgh Penguins down the stretch and into the future. We got you covered here at Odyssey 93.7 The Fan and right here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.